Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. You are listening to episode 121. Hi, it's a real, it's a real pleasure to be here, Jell. How are you doing there? So professional. We should get this guy to host every single time. <laughs> well, as I was about to say, as I once told Tom Hanks on a bright April day, 280 miles off of the coast of Somalia, I'm the captain now. <laughs> that was you. I need to get your autograph after this. Yeah, I, I, I even want a, I want an Oscar for it and everything. <laughs> but yes, as, uh, as you might have been able to pick up, uh, we have lost both of our captain and first mate this week, uh, which leaves it up to me to, uh, to, to pilot this skeleton crew we have. But that's all right because this week we've gone for quality over quantity. That's mm. right. I have, a, I have, I have brought together. Maybe some of the finest minds in anime criticism the internet has to offer. We have gathered an elite firing squad of the most highly skilled assassins from all over the world. Exactly. Getting exactly. some real low bars here, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, let's get to introductions. I, this week, am your host, G. Or you could call me the Wolf of the West Coast. And with me... We could call you that. You could call me that. And with me... The Wolf of West Flanders, Aqua. Unfortunately, West Flanders is an actual place and I don't live there. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, I'm an anime girl with big boobs and I'm threading them art station. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, all, we'll all be, uh, we will all become renaissance paintings of uh, anime girls with giant <laughs> tits the within the next, next five years. Next Yes. And uh, with me as well... Another wolf, the wolf of Westminster, Zig. Uh, I, um, I'm not sure I want to be associated with Westminster in any sense at all at this point in time, quite frankly. But behind you, the I curtain, the gesture. I just went to Google and looked up regions that start Places with the word London. West yeah. in the <laughs> UK and Belgium. <laughs> I'm not doxing my fellow podcasters here. I have no clue where they live. <laughs> I just found places that started with West, okay? No, that, that works. That works, quite frankly. Uh... But yes, in all seriousness, we are here to talk about Fall 2022, which uh, some might say is uh, maybe the most star-studded season we've seen in a little bit. And, and we're going we are to pay homage to, to that. Yeah, to watch like the fewest amount of shows we've ever discussed yes, on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as as Aqua alluded to, uh, big season. But again, we're going for quality over quantity here, which is why we have like what six shows on this. Uh, on this I, I list. mean, honestly, if we're going by the quantity, quality over quantity rule, six shows is considerably more than your average season, quite frankly. So I think we're doing all right. You you are you are totally right, Zig. I mean, just even compared to, I mean last season, summer 2022, I think we are all, you know, regardless of our tastes here, like, or what what has caught our interest, I, I think we are all watching a lot more uh, this yeah, season absolutely. than last. Yeah, and part of that, I think, is there's a lot of, like, name value shows coming up, and part yeah. of it is just that there seems to be more interesting stuff in general, it must be said. So, you know, 
remains to be seen how well that will hold up, but first impressions are definitely we're in for a stronger season than the last one. Right. I definitely think so. Yeah. If you're like listening to this like a week or two weeks late, like a weird little freak, do know that most like some shows that are very highly anticipated for the season haven't even come out yet at the time of recording. Yeah, that is true. I mean, you know, for example, we will <laughs> look. I know some people have seen it. In fact, by the time this podcast is out, everyone will have seen it. We have not seen Chainsaw Man yet. You know, uh, we we also have not seen what like Bleach, Urusei Yatsura. Um, Urusei Yatsura is really late though. Like that that yeah. thing is quite a bit way off. Still, I mean, I mean, if you still. want to talk about late, uh, To Your Eternity season right. two is like two weeks from now. God, yes. I'd, I'd forgotten that thing is actually still happening. I'd completely <laughs> yeah, forgotten right. about it. You yeah, and everyone uh, else. Oof. Yeah. Well, we're here to talk about uh, good adaptations of beloved manga. <laughs> So we should just roll into uh, the first section we have here, which is going to be the returning shows, the household names that you've all come to lo- uh, to know and love. And uh, we're opening up strong here with the return of Spy Family with uh, its second season. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, ever since the beginning of the split core format, it has been kind of a compromise between is this really a second season or is this just like a break in production? And this one definitely feels like a break in production. You know, it feels like, because it's not like season one ended on like a big plot twist or like a cliffhanger or anything like that. We're kind of just back in the game. You know, it is just just more Spy Family, which is a good thing, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... I mean, it, I mean, yes, I think I think that is completely on the mark because, like, you watch this first episode and it just opens up as if no time had passed, right? It's right. just we're back in it, you know. The adventures continue. There's a dog now. Yeah, and, dogs are good. Uh, yeah, I'm actually curious. Like, uh, I mean, I guess uh, Zig is the one here who has not read the manga. What do you think of them opening up with a seemingly more serious tone with this, uh, with with this uh, return? I mean, I I think that the key thing to Spy Family is that it does balance those kind of like, not necessarily more serious, but more kind of like, because the whole thing is, it's a blend of spy fiction and family drama, right? There's a bit of spy and a bit of family. Right, and uh, I would say (laughs) rather than being, you know, overtly more serious, it's just that this episode and presumably this this like mini arc of episodes leans a little more towards kind of like the hard-bitten spy fiction stuff right you know um having said that there is still a psychic dog involved so (laughs) yes we're we're talking relative here but um but yeah I, i think that the combination of those two factors are what keeps the show interesting you know and um and I, I like it when it can effectively juggle those two things. And there's still some great jokes in this episode, so I don't think it's it's too much of a lean in one way or another. Oh, definitely. I, I right. mean, Yor kicks that dude like a ping pong ball. You know, it's <laughs> <Yes>. uh... <laughs> the good thing about Spy Family is that it, it, even though it is two very different things mixed together, it never loses track of the combination. As in, whenever we have a more plot or spy-oriented episode, there will always be jokes. And even if we have a, like, fillery, jokey episode, it will always be at least tangentially related to advancing Operation Strix. Right. 
but yeah, I mean, on, honestly, on some level, I don't think I have much more to add because, like, look, guys, it's it's Spy Family. You know what it is. You know if you want it or not. You know Anya is the best little peanut that uh, that ever could. Um, I uh, one thing I will say is that I think um, that new opening by Bump of Chicken is not only <laughs> right. every Bump of Chicken song ever in yeah. the way that all of those songs are, but it's also like super unfitting for. The show. I, I, I so, think it is just like, yeah, we got bump, bump of chicken. You don't not want bump of chicken, right? Like, right. But like, it's just like this very generic pop song. Right. And like, at least the first opening had like the brassy hooks that attempted yes. to like fit into the show's aesthetic, for want of a better yeah, word. Sort of mishmash of like the. I, I would 30s, agree. You, the forties, the fifties, and the eighties. Like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, you, you, you put a gun to my head. I think I actually do legitimately prefer the first set of OP and ED. I think mm-hmm. in, in some regards, and this isn't really a knock against Spy Family, but it's maybe a knock against, like, as we have talked about lately, the rise of, like, the weekly Shonen Jump prestige anime of this Bump of Chicken OP is kind of just them bragging about, like, look... Spy Family is one of the biggest properties right now. Yeah. We're putting a lot of money into this, so we're going to animate what might as well just be like um, closer video. to like a, yeah, a music video yeah, than yeah. an actual OP. Like right. and and like the 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 common the the like commercial aspect of licensing anime OPs has always been a part of the business, obviously. Right. And there are you know plenty of memorable shows with absolutely like crazy unfitting openings it's, oh, yeah. it's just notable here because i think in that first season both the opening and the ending did fit surprisingly well with the material there and I there's less of an effort here yeah it's something that you notice a lot with like second ops that like the first op is really like creative and thematically fitting and then the second op is kind of generic which i guess has to do with the fact that Maybe for the first OP, marketing-wise, the like creators of the show still have a lot of input. Whereas with the second OP, it's just like the record companies that sponsor the show are taking over and saying, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have this new song from one of our hit bands as your it, OP it definitely, promoted. Like, yeah, it it definitely becomes a highly produced victory lap, I right. suppose. Which, hey, if if any show has earned a victory lap, it's probably <laughs> Spy Family. Because like. It's the thing you have to know, this is one of the shows that no name are attached to, right? The weird, like, band-slash-collective yes. that are kind of, like, representative of whatever Toho Records want to throw at a show. So <laughs> right. it's very likely that they are very, like, keeping a close watch on that production and are just deciding, you know, what music goes into it for marketing purposes. Right. Well, speaking of another show that has arguably earned its victory lap. Uh, we are talking about Mob Psycho 100 Season 3. Thought you were going to say, speaking of cynical marketing ploys, but... Uh, Ooh. Wow. <laughs> oh, it, I, I, think, I think that bad? first... Ep- <laughs> oh, no, I, I was talking about the whole... Uh, I was talking about the whole dubbing uh, situation. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, we, I, yeah, we did yeah, go over that quite yeah, extensively. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. it is... Yeah, just... Again, it's very unfortunate what Crunchyroll has done with the dubbing situation. I think... Uh, you know, again, it, it's very unreasonable of them, especially considering their size, but it's also a thing we, we definitely hashed out in, in the prior podcast. Right, so right, right. We'll, we'll probably just roll into talking about the content of the show itself, which, at least from the Japan side of things, is not really um, responsible for, for uh, the controversies there. At least I don't think they are. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We could always 
find out later. But uh, yeah, speaking of another show that also just kind of opens up as if like expecting you to just like have watched season two last week or something. Right, but but the difference here is obviously that Mob Psycho 100, rather than being away for a couple of seasons, has been away for a couple of years. Three so, years, I think. <laughs> right. So it is, it is a little bit... It, it's odd, you know. Now, gee, I, I did not watch season two, and this wasn't because I didn't want to. Uh, I enjoyed season one a great deal. Um, there were just other things happening in my life at the time, Fair. obviously. Yeah. So... Um, I always felt that season one was a fairly complete story with like a fairly complete arc and denouement. So I I was I'm interested to see, you know I'm interested to see what season two added, you know, but like what do you think the thrust of the story is here in season three in terms of adding to the characters of that world and like where they're gonna end up? Because they've said definitively this will be the final season, right? They're gonna right. cut it off. I I think this is this is sort of uh, I think you bring up some really good points, Zig, because this is sort of the energy of season three is that it is kind of a denouement, or at least it kind of feels like one, because, you know, I won't spoil the events of season two, but while I agree that I think season one is a very well, like a very well-made self-contained story, I think what made a lot of us love season two is that season two actually worked as a thematic conclusion to a lot of the kind of storytelling aspects that were brought up in season one and so season two felt like an appropriate climax a capstone to mob's story about him coming to terms with the powers he has and the responsibility he bears you know possessing those powers and so season three does kind of i mean again it kind of just feels like a victory lap almost like it's still mob it's still reagan it's still all those you know lovable weirdos and to be clear, this this isn't anime original, right? This is still based on the original. Uh... This is still based on the manga, yes. Yeah, and and I guess the idea is that the last kind of stretch of the manga, which I have not read to be clear, is sort of it does sort of, it does sort of serve as a bit of a cool down period after the climactic events of season two, which like again I won't spoil, but you know it season two escalates to like. To the point where it arguably becomes just like typical shonen in terms of its stakes, instead of a subversion of shonen that maybe uh, season one was, and it's kind of season three almost understands that. Well, where do we even go from there? And so the question or the answer that Bones or not Bones, but that Mob comes up with is to look inward. Uh, the sort of the the um, the focus of episode one is sort of the classic. Uh, 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 career survey uh, uh, form that that the kids in Japan get right, right. And, a reliable trope to generate some introspective storytelling. Right, and so we have Mob who doesn't know. Right, like here's a kid with you know boundless power, but that's not how he feels. He defines himself. Right, and there's a lot of really good moments I think in this first episode that definitely work better because they are looking inward. It's it's. It's Bob talking to Reagan, and of course Reagan initially gives his like dirtbag answer. That's like just him making shit up. But then so, by the uh, end of the episode, oh, go ahead. No, I, I have an important question, which is: so how has this season been kind of like affected or reshaped by Reagan being voted ultimate Tumblr sexy man twenty twenty two? I mean, honestly, <laughs> like in all seriousness, in a post, in a po- in a world. 
I don't... Okay, did people, like, do the whole Reagan is a sexy Tumblr man thing around, like, season two? Like, did this only start coming I, up, like... I feel like that joke kind of dates back to season one in my memory, at least. Okay. Like, even in season one, you had the whole redraw Reagan meme, right? Like, oh, yeah. that is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, like, it, it's the classic, like, he's kind of a dirtbag and, like, meant to be super conventionally unattractive, so obviously right. people love him thing like and and i think it's really interesting you know because i i think like joking aside it is a demonstration of how good the character stuff is in mob psycho that you can have like reagan is like a three-dimensional character um because he is a dirt bag but he has redeeming qualities and that's what makes yes. it interesting you know and, and i think in that case like I, I was i wanted to ask that because yeah the first episode does have a pretty heavy amount of Reagan focus in it because Reagan is sort of the most prominent adult figure in Mob's life. So right. when Mob is having questions about what he wants to do with his future, he asks Reagan. And yes. by Not the end of the episode, consistent. Yes, he. I would say Reagan actually gives a surprisingly like good answer to Mob. And you know, I won't like hash it out here, but yeah, it it, it sort of ends up being the message that like. You know, no matter how late you quote unquote have your revelation of who you are or what you want to be, like, it's never too late as long as you have that moment. Like, you know, if you have that moment when you're 15, great, awesome. If you have that moment when you're 30, like, you still have, like, the rest of your life. And I don't know. If you're 31, uh... however, you're shit out of luck. Oh, yeah. Well, shit. (laughs) That's a problem. So I, I guess my other question was, it sounds like, you know, it, it is still a well-written, like, well-rounded story and show. And that's probably to be expected, given that, you know, it's continuing to be based on the work of one, um, one the manga author. Um, yes. How, how are the production values? Because obviously, you know, aside from their very good storytelling, seasons one and two were also renowned for, like, a truly impressive level of production polish uh, that it... you, you may not have expected. Yeah, I mean, spoilers, it still looks really good. Um, right. I would say it's the first episode bones, actually... Right? Oh, what? It's still Bones. Right? Oh, yes, it is still Bones, yes. And it's still um, Yuzuru Tashikawa, I think, right? Still I believe that? so, but I'm actually not 100% sure on that. I, I probably should have checked that, but... I mean, it still looks exactly like the sort of house mob style that they've created over the last two seasons. Uh Interestingly enough, I'd say this first episode actually does not go as heavy on the visual spectacle as you might expect because it's sort of a more low-key episode. Like, yeah, there's still the obligatory mob blows up a ghost, and so the next, like, (laughs) 11 seconds are the coolest fucking shit you've ever seen. But a little bit more low-key, but again, that could just be because of the story. Uh, I will say one less... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say one of the things that in my memory characterized season one so well is a really good sense of continual escalation. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. You know, they know how to build that story. And, and I think they're doing that here because uh, the other sort of B plot that is building up that I suspect will become the A plot soon is uh, Mob does something extremely uh, climactic and visible and impossible to ignore at the end of season two like it doesn't necessarily mean that oh everybody knows mob is a psychic but more psychics and their existence can no longer be denied after the events of season two and 
there now appears to be a cult worshipping, uh, if not mob, then certainly the consequences of his actions at the end of season two. Yes, yes. So, uh, there is definitely an angle of like, oh man, is Mob going to become the subject of like unwanted attention as people come to him thinking he is like their new messiah, essentially? And here we come, baby. Yeah, you're telling me Mob Psycho 100 is a young adult novel? (laughs) But, but yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, Look, again, it's another one of those shows where at this point you kind of know the score with it. So Right. I, I, uh, I think I think the, the the only question here was would it would it fall back to earth from like impossibly high standards? And it sounds like it's that isn't showing any major signs of that. So that's that's fantastic, obviously. Certainly not yet, for sure. Again, it's it's a little hard to tell where things will go from here, but for now it it uh it it stays strong. It's pretty interesting uh, how both of one's major works now stand as an example of on one hand a show that <laughs> remains consistently like amazingly produced and qualitative all the way through, and also a show that completely shits the bed and drops the ball in the second season. It's like, really interesting how the respective animes of those uh, stories and the other one we're talking about is One Punch Man yeah. for anybody who doesn't know. But it's really interesting how the reception to the uh, to the animes have like shaped public perception. Because five years ago, say, I would say that One Punch Man was absolutely the premier work by one, and it was you know the big favorite, the one everybody made jokes and right. like fan works about and stuff like that. And Sort of, you've just sort of seen that reputation be eroded over time, whereas Mob Psycho 100 has just sort of slowly emerged to become like the big shining star, right. like the mainstream favorite. So I'd say it's even more egregious than that because, like, prior to the anime from Mob Psycho 100 airing, One Punch Man wasn't really considered to be a like. One was considered to be like, ah, it's that joke guy who can't draw, who made the original idea for One Punch Man that Yusuke Barata made awesome. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. There's also the fact that a lot of the hype for the One Punch Man manga was generated by Murata's incredible art. But, you know, even at the time, I felt like that was selling one a little bit short. You know, that was, it was his idea. Right. I definitely think it sells one short because, like, I I don't, I have not read, uh, you know, much of the mob manga, but I have seen pages of it and the thing about one is like yes is are, are his technical skills maybe like not you know at the expected professional level yes but is his sense of timing and paneling and composition yeah actually right. like weirdly really on point yeah like there's there's yes. a certain unique flow to that art style which can't necessarily be replicated even by like high def do-overs or and he turns his weakness into a strength right like yeah, he's the Hiroyuki I mean, Maishi of of manga. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's true because Mob has a very distinct style. I mean, you you won't mistake it for anything else, uh, which uh, is good for it, you know. Um, unlike, well, we might as well just roll it to uh, the the long running anime adaptation that uh, has maybe fallen from grace in recent times. Uh, we're talking about. Moses. Bones' sight hustle. Yeah, Bones' redheaded stepchild. Like, it's really... it's That's a that's a better segue, honestly. Thank you, Aqua. Like, if, if Mob Psycho is the Bones, like, passion project, yeah, My Hero Academia Season 6 is definitely... 
it's not it's, their priority anymore. It's so disappointing to me because when My Hero Academia started, I was like, this show is great. It has so much heart and, you know, a unique style. Could this be the show to break out from the Shonen Jump shackles, you know? And it has just fallen so hard into that I mean, predictable pattern. In a way, it kind of is. Like, I'm pretty sure My Hero Academia has been the best-selling comic worldwide for years. Right, but but I meant more in terms of, you know, I right, you look, know, in I means mean, of in terms of your personal things. Yeah, right? I, I mean, yeah. like My Hero Academia is big. Like, it's a huge hit, but also the audience for anime and manga has grown tremendously in the past decade right. and a half, you know. And, you know, Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, Dragon Ball, all of these have been huge, massive international hits right. beforehand, you know. It's it's less about it's less about the um the material success of it and more just that it has sort of slowly fallen into that house mm-hmm. style which so defines It hasn't done running. anything to advance the formula the way kind of, yeah. Dragon Ball and One Piece have kind of done before. Yeah, honestly, like, look, I'm going to be real, guys. You're just going to have to indulge me. There's actually only one thing really worth talking about with the new hero, new season of My Hero Academia. Is it the hot girl? It's the hot bunny lady. It's the <laughs> one you've seen on Twitter and Pixiv and Dan Buru a million times. Mirko, the, the fifth-ranked hero whose power is rabbit. <laughs> she can do anything a rabbit can. It, it's, it's just... Oh, she could fuck up my hands real bad every couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, she could. Let me tell you, Mirko could. Die of myxomatosis uh, if she doesn't get vaccinated immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, whatever. The plot of season six is like, it's the big fight between the heroes and the villains. All the machinations that were, hi- you know, occurring behind closed doors have broken out. It's now... It's gone from a a cold war between the heroes and villains to a hot war, you know, and they're fighting in the streets, etc. And, you know, fucking whatever. It's, like, that should be cool, but it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's really <yeah>. not. <laughs> how, how far ahead of the, how far ahead is the manga at this point? Are they pretty much caught up? No, no, it's still a fair amount ahead. They they have they have they've spaced out the seasons of My Hero Academia uh, pretty well, actually, so that they right, always which, have a, a good amount of runway to work with. Yeah, that's that's gratifying at least because you don't want to see like the old like stuff with Naruto where you like death marched the staff into constant <laughs> right. stuff, and then you had to have a bunch of mediocre filler. You, I'm just thinking like you know, can you really escalate from like an all out open super powered war? Like how much longer Thanks. until, how much longer until you have to uh, have to kind of like call this story a day? That's a good question, Zig. And I think um, Horikoshi is maybe still trying to figure out the answer to that in the manga. Yeah, yeah. Hasn't he been saying the manga would end for like three years now? I will. I do think it seriously is probably going to end within the next like year. Like we are. Uh, I mean, oh god, I I mean, I say that, but also, like, <laughs> you never know, but, I mean, it's, My Hero Academia, the manga, is at the equivalent of, like, Naruto fighting Sasuke at the end of, like, the manga, right? It's like, you can't go, like, you literally can't go, like, you can't escalate from this point any further unless you were to just suddenly introduce an entirely new status quo, which, to be fair, uh, 
has been done before in manga. Or you I mean, could do that's a kind hot... of what Naruto did. Yeah, or you yeah. could do a hot spin off. Like, uh, which, that's again, true. is what Naruto did. Ah, so looking forward it's... to Bakugo. <laughs> God, please yeah. no. But yeah, whatever. So really the only thing that's notable about My Hero Academia Season 6 at this point is they introduced the hot bunny lady and she she had her cool fight scene in Season 2, I mean in uh, Episode 2 of the new season where like, you know, she like, man, it's, it's, it's it, describing it will not make it nearly as cool as it looks, but like she's like fighting like three or four super powered baddie villains at the same time and like one of them has psychic powers and so like grabs her arm to hold hold her down stationary so that another villain can finish her off. And she just rips her own arm off. Like, she just pulls so hard, she just rips her, her own arm off and then just fucking bodies all the baddies in, like, 30 as, fucking uh, seconds. As, as Faputa in Maiden Abyss taught us, this is something that buddy girls can do. It's a viable combat strategy. <laughs> yes, just cut off your own limb so you can keep fighting. And, you know, I I feel like I should offer the necessary disclaimer that, like, we're not saying that my, that, um, maybe this, uh, we're not saying that my <laughs> hero academia has suddenly become bad or terrible or that you're a bad person for still liking it or anything Certainly like that, not. you know? Tons, like, it seems like it's a great adventure story. Tons of people like it. It's very popular, you know? This is just kind of like our personal hopes for something which was a bit more genre-busting right. and... Obviously, you know, the way we feel about it. And that's true for everything we talk about, but I feel like a particular disclaimer is needed here because we are kind of busting it a bit. And, for sure, and- yeah. I think I think those are all good points. And besides, Zig, at the end of the day, she does... I don't know what the name of this wrestling move is, but, like, she, she jumps on a dude's shoulders and, like, squishes their head between her rather large muscular thighs ah, i see and, and then she does like a somersault like a mid-air somersault oh it's a it's and a like, s- slams the dude's head into the ground uh steiner screwdriver i think sure all right she does that so hard the dude's head rips off for kids okay that's not a regulation wrestling move, I will <laughs> okay <tell> maybe not <laughs> but it sure looks cool and every Every guy between the ages of 14 and 42 says, man, I wish that was me. <laughs> uh, not a bad person if you like this. You're not a bad person if you like this. <laughs> you are a bad person if you like Bakugodo. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Yeah, we can't. We, we won't apologize for that. Speaking of bad people. Yes. Yeah, speaking of Kuso manga. <laughs> Also, I must correct myself, that was not the Steiner screwdriver I was thinking of, it's the Frankensteiner, but, uh, you know, just needed to get that one out there before my reputation as a wrestling Right, I was just about to say, the, like, intersection wrestling nerds and anime fans going to come and get you now. I mean, they've already been closer and closer into a circle every passing year. True. (laughs) But, yeah, so, yeah, speaking of, um... Yeah, speaking of shit, but this time it's the good kind of shit. Uh, Pop Team Epic Season 2. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure we ever thought they'd be coming back, but they are. And, uh, shit, affectionately. So, yes, uh, they are back and shittier than ever. 
I, I'm not sure what changed between the first season of this and this current season. Maybe I just became more appreciative of the like skill of shit posting. But um, the there's been two episodes out at this point. They've both been pretty amazing. They're really yeah. strong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and in fact, we have like the. They have both appealed to a particular one of us on this podcast with Aqua and I in one <laughs> corner and you in the other. Uh, I yes. mean, like, I think we're all appreciative of all of them. But uh, the first episode opens with one of the greatest things I've ever seen, which is the continuation <laughs> of the Shota Aoi versus evil Shota Aoi plot, uh, all in live action, which segues into yep. a pitch perfect uh like Tokusatsu opening complete with like right. dumb idol song and, and you, tons of like You really effects. need to have watched a lot of Tokusatsu to appreciate just how pitch perfect of a parody. There are it a is. lot of like... super specific references <laughs> to like Kamen Rider Zio especially, which fits with the time traveling thing, but also just like I mean, some of those sequences are shot in the exact same places that they shoot. Uh, episodes of like Carbon Rider and Super Sentai in, and it's just a really, really funny joke that they play right to the hill. You know, it's really great. That's that's I all mean, I'm I think, really going to say about it. I think that has always been Pop Team Epic's like unique strength is that when they see a bit, they fucking they bite down hard on that bit. They latch onto it. They do not let go of it. Right? They. They they commit to it and they take it all the way to its logical conclusion, and, which... and then sometimes beyond the logical conclusion, <laughs> where like 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 sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes, it becomes so unfunny it's funny again. Right? You know? Yeah, I think definitely. It's, I think that's very telling of the people, like especially the director who also did uh, Galen Dino, which had the similar thing going on of like we when we find a thing in this that we could. You know, turn into a god tier shit post. We're going to throw everything we have at it and to do so. Right, and sometimes that works. But like the the thing about that approach is that you get a lot of really high profile misses as well as right. a lot of high profile hits. Like the infamous Galadino episode with like the the, the comedians, uh, the, the Japanese comedians dressed in swimming trunks that was just memorably weird but very unfunny. But then right. you get. Like bits that just won't quit, like time traveling show to Aoi, which is like a joke that they have gone like five or six levels deep on at this point. You want to talk about episode two, G? Yeah, I want to talk about episode two. So, (laughs) speaking of commitments to the bit to an almost uh, unhealthy degree, uh, they bring back a joke that they did from season one where. uh, um, Pop Team Epic briefly turns into a mecha anime, and they just fully embrace it this time, complete with bringing on, yes, the legendary Masami Obari on board, and and Sunrise to direct and animate an entire super robot section of, of Pop Team Epic, and, uh, and I, man... I was- <laughs> So for a start, like they're not even trying to hide it. Like the unit of power the robot uses is called Baris. Um, yes, <laughs> but also like it's just it's not necessarily specifically an Obari homage. It's just like a loving tug in cheek thing to every single yes. super robot anime ever. So you've got like all the tropes, like the bad guy powers up into a crazy new form, you know, and then like they get a new form of their own, and there's just so many. Terrific visual gags. The one, oh yeah, totally. One also, Yuki Hiyama is there. Yeah, Guy Shishio he? himself. Second half. Is he? 
Oh, okay. I didn't know that because I only watched okay. the first half. Yeah, second yeah. half when they do the VA switch, it's Nobuyuki Hiyama and um. Sure. I, I forget the other dude, but I know he's also. Kawa. Yes, he is also a brave veteran. He voiced right. um Jay Decker slash Duke. Now that we're on in... here, maybe before you had guys head back into discussing, it's actually pretty fun. I'm looking at the credits here and all of the like Popoko PPME uh like teams that voice them in every half are like related because they start in a famous anime together. For example, in the first episode, it's Aya Hirano and uh, Minori Chihara from Haruhi. Oh and, shit! And, okay. And the uh, second half, it's Ryu Kugimiya and Robbie Park from Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, oh, like, now. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's been a bit going back to the first series. Like, didn't they pair? Who did they pair? Nobi? Uh, who did they pair? Norio Wakamoto with. Um, uh, the voice actor for Frieza, I believe. Yeah, because that's the thing. It was Frieza and Cell. Right. right. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So like, like it is clearly, and and you know, this may be the thing, but like, Pop Team Epic is so obviously a show made for people who are terminally online and terminally yes. interested in anime, because so many of the jokes only make sense if you are like plugged into the meta textual reason behind them. But like. In the Super Robot stuff, you know, not only are there like the big parodies of the cliche, but we get the Obari shot, you know, we get stuff like the vents opening after the super attack, <laughs> yes. which is a homage to like a bunch of old Super Robots and stuff. And also, you know, the bad guy is is King Records, which is a not so subtle. Show. Yeah, not so subtle attack on and like he's his job is to defeat them to keep the budget down. And obviously yes. like when they attain their Final super form. The animation goes through the roof, and yes, but you, you know, it's just driving the driving the cost of this show, you know, off the charts. The fucking bit where evil, the evil king records robot says, and now I will create a subcommittee yes, to create yes. another subcommittee. Who who voices the evil king ro- records robot in the first oh, half? Because shit. I feel I... like I recognized him. Uh, I, I I did not this do is the research we, beforehand. Yeah, this is where we need Iro, who has like a superpower for. Let me pull these voices. credits back up. Yeah, you might as well do that while we keep yeah. talking. But yeah, it's just I mean, it's Obari doing what Obari does best, right? Like even as a yeah. joke, right? Even when Papako is saying, "I can't believe we're making Obari do this shit again." Like, yes. Let it be said, Obari just loves to do cool robots, and when he is given all the runway in the world, he will. He will go all the goddamn way with it. It's uh... and I think the thing which makes it work is that the the show does like like I said, it goes so deep that it commits truly to the bit, and that means you know getting actual Obari and his actual team of animators to animate this genuinely great looking robot battle stuff, you know, and and that makes it so much more pleasurable to watch, you know, because it's not just a a like randomly thrown out parody it's oh you guys actually put time and effort and like deepened the joke by hiring the right people and hitting all the marks i mean even the jokes that aren't done by you know you know not you know it's not even just the obari bits but like because all of pop team epic is like it's it's a it's kind of an anthology right They, they get different studios and creators to do every every segment and so it is sometimes just really fun to just see, like, oh, what was you know, what's fucking Kamikaze Doga gonna do for their like two minute bit that they've been subcontracted to do? Yeah. And, um, I'd uh, I'd also like to shout out the opening, which is one of the most oh uh, man, yeah, which is just one of the most like terrifically fucked up things visually I've seen in quite a while, and it's really Dude, that OP, yeah, is a goddamn night. If you told, look, 
we have a lot of we 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 here at the glory chat have a lot of mean words to say about AI and procedural generation. But also, if you told me that yeah. the new Pop Team Epic OP was animated by AI, I think I might believe you because yeah, it's really it upsetting. Melty, like I described it as. Um... If you got all the animation cells and then like set them on fire, so the edge is yeah. all melted, like it, no, it looks terrific. It's really oh good. yeah, yeah it's, so, it's yeah, it's so, such a vibe. But yeah, I, I am as somebody who who I think definitely was not a fan of season one, and I think also the thing which happened in between season one and this is Gal and Dino made me more amenable to that style of just very like single joke targeting. Right. Uh, humor, you know, but I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by how much I'm enjoying it. Yeah, same. I I think uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to more of it because I think you know, even as someone who likes season one, you know, let's be real, there's going to be some real stinkers in season two. Like there always are. Like it's kind of the nature of Pop Team Epic. But I think that because they swing for the fences every time, you're you're going to have a lot of a really good really good bits right. coming up. Yeah, we we were saying before, you know, like. You take big swings, there's going to be some huge strikeouts as well. Yeah, you know? definitely. But already, I think in these first two episodes, there have been enough good jokes. And not just the big bits, but also just some of the weird little one-off. Uh, yeah. It's like the the continued uh, pop team epic B-side, reimagining it <laughs> yeah. as kind of like a a like Bishonen dating simulator right. is, is a gift which has so far... It's very good. Giving. Yeah. Well, I think that'll do it then for the returning shows. So we're going to move into all of these hot new shows we're watching. All four of them. Uh, Speaking of a show that swings for the fences, um, Akiva Made War. Have you you two watched this? Yes. I was going to say... (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know how to feel about this. I was going to say, speaking of one-trick ponies, because I think this show has shown us everything in its bag. It might have, but what a trick like, is it? Uh... I mean, look, like there is a long and storied history of anime going, what if Hot Girl, but also Killing Machine? Ah, uh, like Horus Recoil. <laughs> well, that was very much not Killing Machine. Oh, like. right. <laughs> I think, if you allow me... Go for it. This show, when it goes for what it wants to go for, it's pretty fun. But the problem is that the framework around which that whole thing gets hung up is still annoying. Mm-hmm. Like... Okay. And it's one of those animal... Ca- uh, anim- anime. <laughs> animal case... <laughs> anime cases where you're like not... When you're like not sure where the parody ends and where the playing it straight begins. Like, is the show meant to make fun of maid culture? Or is it, you know, trying to have its cake and I, eat I it think, too? Like, I, I think that this is like... I feel like this is a problem we identify in a lot of anime right. that is meant to be satirical. It's like... Like, doing the thing and then pointing out you're doing the thing is not satire. Like, you need to be a little bit more subversive than that. I mean, honestly, I suspect it's not even that well thought out. I think the joke is just, haha, what if maids, but they kill people? Right. Like, I mean, we might as well just bring up the premise of the show as well, because it's it's a new show. We were talking about Occupa Made War, a new PA Works original. Uh, It takes place in, I guess we now have to assume, is an alternate 
universe 1999. Right, where uh, made cafes actually existed in Akihabara in 1999. Right. And we, we have our we have our plucky, you know, our plucky protagonist girl whose dream is to be a maid who works as a, at a maid cafe. So you know you it's know, fiction. And, yes, and so she she gets hired at a new mad ca- a maid cafe that's like pig themed like it's it's like you know they're saying oink a lot where the, right. the, the all of the maid cafes appear to be animal themed animal themed yes yeah. and this ma- maid cafe is like down in the dumps it's like they're behind on their protection payments or something <laughs> and like this is the reveal where then it bec- you realize oh this is this is a heroic bloodshed Yakuza drama, but right. all the primary characters are maids instead of middle-aged Japanese men. I was going to say, this is like a Yakuza game, except even more stupid. <laughs> Honestly, this feels like a Yakuza sub-story. Like, I was watching this episode, <laughs> yeah, and I was Killer like... Kiramaids is definitely a, a Yakuza sub-story thing. Right. Like, I'm half waiting for Kiryu to just walk it and, like, off-screen and just be like, man, what's going on over here? Yeah. Oh, this is the maid thing I've heard about, huh? Seems to be yeah, really popular but... with the kids nowadays. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess that is the thing, right, is this first episode makes a really bombastic first impression, but as you guys kind of alluded to, did it put it all out on the field already? Like, does this right. show have anything else left in the tank after episode this, one? The show this reminds me of the most is Zombieland Saga. I've I've heard those comparisons. Because yeah. Zombieland Saga also comes out guns blazing with, like, the rap battle in the first episode. Or is it the rap battle? Yeah. No, it's like the metal thing where they're all headbanging. I think right, the rap yes, battle yes. is in the second no, episode. Right. I, I believe rap battle is second episode. Yeah, right. I mean, but it also comes out with like this absurd premise that sort of kind of makes fun of a toxic, shitty aspect of Japanese pop culture, but also sort of doesn't. And then by episode three, it's just become a straight-out idol show. Right, and it's... I'm afraid that's what's going to happen here as well. I, I will say, like, um, the action sequence which ends this episode is very good, and... It's been a while since you've seen an anime that fits the classic 80s anime cliche of, oh, this is full of extremely gratuitous violence, right? Like, yeah. Like, you don't often see people, fools just being wasted like this quite a lot anymore. Especially I, not I to think... a pop idol number like this. But, right. Uh... Yeah. But it's still in, like, a funny aesthetic, really pleasing kind of way because they all get shot, like, straight in the head and there's, like, a Oh yeah, the, blood that comes out. There's some proper right, gun Carter shit. Right, yes, on. I mean we we didn't even talk about I guess I don't know the Deuteragonist, the the supporting I don't know the the, the primary second character which is uh, milf this, uh, maid. Yes, the milf maid. Yes, a a 35 year old maid who uh, claims she is a newbie, but seeing as we saw that uh, that what prologue at the beginning of the episode, it is clear that oh this is like some like legendary. Old, old maid from like you know the the the, the bygone era right. of, of or, maid or era or she's yeah. here, or she's here to like avenge a grudge yes. from that period I, I will like say I almost think it is a shame that they show the prologue at the beginning of the episode like I almost think it would have been funnier if they had saved it as a post credit scene right yes, absolutely because so th- then you are legitimately left thinking for the first half of this show, oh, it's just the most, like, bland, like, made girl ganbare like, anime. And I think they blow their load too early by having that prologue at the beginning. 
That yeah, is the telltale yeah. sign of a show that's not secure enough or not like confident enough. I think. Right, but uh, at the same time, you know, like, it is a commercial TV product. I understand the need to provide a hook. Right. Because uh, otherwise, people would have just stopped watching in the first ten minutes. Well, except for, like, oh, those they people. Are. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of thing, other things I wanted to point out. One, the actual probable best joke in the episode is the idol song ending, which is sung in, like, the heroic bloodshed Enka oh, like style. Enka? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but with, like, so all good. The, but with all the inane, shitty lyrics of a moe moe, yeah. So they're saying moe moe while like and like going to the extent of having the lyrics written <laughs> in like vertical text. Yeah, like, the vertical text, like an old movie. Uh, yeah, it's just very very funny. I mean, um, I think that's a thing, right? Is like taken in a vacuum. I think there are individual parts of this episode that are actually really clever, sharp jokes. Right. Absolutely. I just, it's just hard to tell, like, will they coalesce into something, right. like, legitimately worth watching in the long run? And will they commit to the bit? Will it, or, or will every episode be like, haha, look at this boring, generic, cliche-made stuff, and then the final five minutes are, like, cool, heroic bloodshed with, with, with jokes? Because that's not how you make a show, you know? Why not have jokes throughout the entire episode, even when they're not shooting each other and being, like... Mu- Yakuza delinquents and stuff like that. Right, it it, it just feels it, very uneven. It feels very, it feels very. Oh, we brought Sam Raimi on during the final ten months of production to do his thing for like five minutes spread throughout the movie. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I wonder what you could be referring to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think if if the only thing this show achieves is oh, we mashed up a made show and like a hardcore gangster show, then. That's that's kind of funny, but not something you can really eke a great deal of mileage out of. The other thing I will point out is that this is a PA work show, and already <laughs> it is a show about a small town girl who has come to the big city determined to gamble away her Look, way to okay, the top. PA right. works has a house style, all right? In the same way that Omaishi will find increasingly funny ways to save money, PA works or some called do... homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, that too. Uh, PA works will do its plucky small town girl moves to the big city plotline. And and look, maybe I'm just like especially cynical of PA works after like your boy Kong Ming kind of flamed out about halfway through. I mean, in but, a lot of ways, your boy Kong Ming suffered from the exact same issue of it had right. exactly one or two really good jokes. And right, you have a down. great idea, but you cannot organically grow that idea into something that makes... And, like, I will point out PA Works has a history with doing great action, like Sirius the Jaeger looked fantastic and had some cool sure. fights. Um, I just... What I, about I, Angel What a... <laughs> I'll be All right, let's keep um, this on track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the only thing I will say is that, like, also, again, and this is a personal preference, but, like, I hate made culture so much, and I'm yeah. not sure whether I want to suffer through the madey bits for the right. shooty bits, if that makes sense. Especially, like, when this episode, granted, they do kind of try and subvert it, but there is a whole bunch of shit about at the beginning about how you oh maids make dreams and i'm like fuck off um well we just, stole a, we just stole the script off of the set of love live and replaced yeah. the word idol with mage <laughs> well zig what have i told you about the next two shows on our list 
which don't have any subverting elements whatsoever and are just about the cute girls doing cute things. Oh, boy. Uh, well, okay, I am... Shall we, shall we start with the one we've all watched? Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. I actually did just watch Bochi the Rock before this podcast. Oh, okay. so I, okay. about I, I have here. not seen Bochi the Rock. But, uh, yeah, so we're talking about the first show here. Do it yourself. Uh, or DIY, as it is often known. Um, this show is... I mean... I really right, want so like, to like this show. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of the thing, right? Is like, what an unbelievably charming production. Like, this yeah. is legitimately, like, in a, in a season with a bunch of really high-profile standouts, do-it-yourself, in spite of all that, is still one of the nicest-looking shows this season. Yeah, and, and it's not necessarily because, like, it has a huge staff or huge budget or stuff. It's just incredibly charming. It makes, it does a lot with a little in terms of, mm-hmm. like, animation and art style. I love I love it whenever anime is persuaded to get away from standard character designs and all these weird scratchy noodly girls covered in like like scars and plasters right. and stuff like that, you know, and right. kind like of like the watercolor backings and small girl it, big glutes. Yeah, it looks right. <laughs> it looks fantastic. Yeah, like like there's a very like like there's a very like almost Azoken or like Deno Coil sort of inspired right. like yeah. That, that flip flappers also a bit. Uh, like, flip flappers right. keened more towards traditional anime character design, at like least a, in the quote unquote core segment. Right. Like there's a very fun organic looseness to it. Like yeah, that's the word. Like, there, like like there is an art. So you know this is a common thing all animation does, right? But when a character is further away from the camera, they tend to become less detailed, right? Shorthand because uh, you know it's just not practical to like draw yeah. a character as detailed and. There's a real art to simplifying a character, and like I love the way in which these characters are drawn when they're like in the middle ground or for or, or background, mm-hmm. or like they're like kind of squiggly and loose, but they are still undeniably recognizable. Like it's it's a real talent, and and there's and, some great character animation as well. You know, there's a few like weird ticks and twitches and oh, and totally all that kind of stuff. You know, so it looks great. Right. I think another factor that like brings into like the goodwill we have we can have for the show is like it has pretty good art design. Like the, the, yeah. the color palette is fun, the sort of like dreamy, like pastel y like color is different enough from other shows like this to stand out. Yeah. And I really like how this show is like casually set in the future. Like yes. people have like yes. weird things, like uh, like retina scanners to enter their house and like or like driving buses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's I, a weird I'm choice, br- but a fun one. I'm gonna bring something up about this show um, in a little bit that has not been confirmed, but is pretty heavily rumored that may explain some of these aspects of its production. But just to summarize the plot real quick, because you know it is a new show. Uh, it is about a girl named. Well, this is a pretty excellent name. The girl named Yua Serufu. Uh, enrolling in a new high school and spoilers she doesn't know what to do with her time but then she finds the DIY club and uh, you can they accept her it. even though she is such a klutz and that's all you really need to know that's it like I mean that's the problem right that's the problem with the show right is that yes. it like it that's is, all there is to it it's it a Kirarake show what did you expect it's like, incredibly cookie cutter like I, I thought for a moment that they were going to defy at least one cliche by like not having her railroaded into joining the club, but then they do that anyway, you know, and, and like they even pull the old, oh, the club's existence is threatened if you don't right. assemble a team of misfits to 
fulfill your quota stuff and it, and it's all so incredibly like by the numbers I, I just think it is a shame because again it's like we just said all these things about it's a great looking show the characters like in in the beat to beat moments these characters are like likable like Serifu yeah. is kind of a fun weird like ditzy like airhead yeah. and I want to like these characters but it's like but what you see on the surface is literally all you get from them and that's like the real heartbreaker and and you know this structure is just so predictable and they don't give us any signs that they're looking to subvert it or play with it in any way you know it it's just as basic as you could possibly be yeah. you know there's there's not even a weird twist like they're all zombies or right. <laughs> what they should have done is they should have made this an azokin and make actually make it about like doing diy for 20 minutes and like painstakingly explaining how to make a like a birdhouse. I mean, I, and so stuff like that. That, it might of, yet become that. But. Yeah. yeah, with these types of shows, I, it would not surprise me if it eventually does become that. But then again, even if they do do that, if it's not attached to like characters who are interesting or compelling, right. it's there's there's not much to work with there. But the thing I did want to say that again has not been confirmed. So if this is fake news, if I'm spreading misinformation, <laughs> uh, forgive me. But there are some pretty substantiated rumors that the reason why this show has such a like distinct look and feel to it uh, is because supposedly uh, it is being, and this is supposedly being kept on the down low, it is being, this show was originally headlined uh, by someone who goes by the pen name of Imago. And there's a lot of sus- substantiated ru- rumors that this is the pen name of one Mitsuo Iso. Huh. Huh. Of Deno Coil and yeah, Orbital Chain. Yeah. Oh. So hold on, just to clarify, is it that uh what what's the pseudonym, sorry? Uh, Imago. Imago. So is it that Imago is definitely the the lead artist, or is that part also rumored? No, no, it, it is true that a, uh, that someone by the pen name of Imago is the showrunner for right. uh, okay. DIY. But but it is uh, their not identity who is not is. confirmed, yes. Isuo would make a lot of sense given the style, and and also c- c- considering also the, very the like the futurist aspect. Yeah, the vision of the, the future is very similar to the one espoused yes. in his other works. So again, this is not hard confirmed. Obviously, like there's no like you know it's look there's a lot of stuff that's being talked about on like image boards and Twitter. All right, like it's we, we don't have like right. any articles confirming it. It's just that. Apparently, there's a lot of things that line up about this production, and some of the other names attached to this show are people who are common collaborators with Mitsuo right. Iso. So, that I guess the credence qu- to it. I guess the question is, what reason does he have to work under a pseudonym? That's the thing nobody knows. <laughs> Maybe because he doesn't want you know he doesn't want people to have expectations that this is going to be a Mitsuo Iso work. You know that he's going to. Do the sci-fi thing and the transhumanism thing, and right? Like that. another like Deno Coil you know, or I, Orbital the, Children size right, production. That this is just like a way for him to, you know, just make something casual, something low stakesy, right? without it having to bear the brand of his name. The, the I think that's is, actually a a pretty valid like theory because yes, I think for better or worse, but still, Iso's name does carry a fair amount of weight, so. You hear that name, you definitely go in with certain expectations. The, the only thing I would say about that is that when, you know, because it is a known fact that, like, anime and manga creators do sometimes help out or work on other shows under 
pseudonyms. I mean, there are plenty of famous examples of people doing that. You know, I mean, uh, Anno worked on. Actually, I, I think Anno did some storyboarding on Revolutionary Girl with Taylor, but I'll have to double check that. But um, but normally when this happens, you don't take the position as showrunner. That's that's a big job with a lot of work, right? Again, yeah, it's it's uh, you are you are right, Zig. Like I said, uh, you know, I think for better or worse, this information will probably become known within like the next like few weeks, right? As like aspects of the production just you know get out there. But I, I think you're right. So again, like it's it's hard to say like what would motivate like the use of a pen name, but again, I I am just parroting like things I have read elsewhere from. People who I would consider I mean, to be somewhat knowledgeable of this type of information, but... I mean, you would probably know this better than I do, but the ways of an artist are often impenetrable, right, G? I mean, you have musicians <laughs> who have, like, five different aliases which they use to release different albums, and then every time they get interviewed, it's like, oh, yeah, but, but this didn't really feel like a, like an X album. It felt more like a different identity of myself. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes... Like, this is the same fucking music, dude. Like, Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and sometimes they have really lame usernames like Guitar Hero. <laughs> uh, go so to the doctor, about... you say, doctor, I have depression. Doctor says... <laughs> You should go. You should go on YouTube and watch Guitar Hero, best guitarist I've ever heard. <laughs> but, but Doctor, bring back Yuki Chan's papa is what I say. Uh... I am Guitar Hero. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the next show here, which is Bochi the Rock. Which, as as much as I I might have thrown shade at it, I actually walked away from this one quite positive. On. It's actually a pretty good show. <laughs> yeah, I I. I... Like, this is, see, this is how I want to see this format done, right? If you're going right. to do the cute girls doing cute things with an object, like, do it like Bochi the Rock. Right. So, Bochi the Rock is a girls in a band anime. It is uh, as Kirara K as they come. It actually was published in Manga Time Kirara. But the thing is, after watching this, I felt like this is so unconventional. I wonder how much of it is in the actual manga. So I checked out the like first two chapters of the manga, and it's very clear that this was like this is not a straight adaptation, right? This is they have the framework of like your box standard cute girls doing cute things show, but they expanded on it so much to give it a lot more edge. Like in the original manga, the the main girl is just like a shy, introverted, ah, wah, 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 little like uh-huh. annoying little clumsy <laughs> shy girl, but in this show they turn her into like a complete dysfunctional disaster oh oh this girl's got capital a anxiety right (laughs) and it's helped by a great vocal performance like big kanahanazawa and bimbogamiga energy Uh, and they just they take everything like it's very similar to k-on not just in that it is about girls in a band but also in that it takes a rather crappy four coma manga (laughs) and like laser focuses on the good aspects and then zooms in on them to make them way more important than they were in the source material. Like, this show is willing to take the piss out of itself. Like, Oh, totally. The, I mean... The big, like, the big climactic scene, for example, <laughs> is her... Like, so she, she's... The story is, you know, she learns how to play the guitar because she wants to get more extroverted, but soon finds out that even though she's gotten real good at a guitar and is, like, internet famous, she's still super shy. So one day she gets 
like invited to join a band. And she's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I have stage fright. And the episode ends on her performing while hiding underneath a big cardboard box on yes. stage. <laughs> and they frame it as like, oh, this is the great moment where she finally overcomes her anxiety and shines on stage. And then the, free- the, the screen freezes and like, you hear the voice over, it's like, this is the worst fucking moment of my life. <laughs> and then it <laughs> yeah, no, cuts to her like, being super depressed. And like saying like this was the lowest point of my life, and the other two girls were like, "Yeah, you know that performance was kind of neat." So it's 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 I it's really actually refreshing how how well they like approach a lot of the topics that that this right. episode covers. Like I I truly love because I think I th- okay look everybody has done what. I can't remember her name, so I'm just going to call her Bochi. Everybody Bochi. Remember- I mean, Bochi is her name. <laughs> yes, that's her name now. Uh, everybody has done, at one point in their life, whether it was in elementary school, middle school, high school, God forbid, maybe even college, has done the thing Bochi did of, I have a hobby, and I want friends. I know right. what I'll do. <laughs> I'll wear clothes and accessories that signify my hobby. <laughs> then people will definitely approach me. If I bring my Guitar. my volume, yeah. yeah. If I bring my volume of manga to this <laughs> university lecture, people will definitely approach me and talk to me about that manga, right? And then we will be friends, right? <laughs> definitely. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, that is a relate that, is a, that right. like we're joking, but that is a relatable dilemma, right? No, it is because here's the thing, right? It's like. Introverts don't want to necessarily be alone. Introverts want friends, like, most of the time. It's just that, like, often the task of reaching out to people is so, like... uh, Tied in with activities usually only enjoyed by extroverts. Right, right. Or it's just so oppressively daunting that, like, Mm. it it can be very difficult to even breach that topic, right? And I think that Bochi the Rock does a really good job of illustrating that. I mean, even... Hell, even her, like, dream of playing guitar to make friends, like, is appropriately, appropriately realistic, right? Like, yeah, you can get really good at guitar, but if you don't actually share that with anybody, if you don't talk about it with anybody, like, people people are just, like, people are not nearly as aware as we all think they might be, right? And that goes both right. ways, right? Like, in a lot of ways, this is what helped me soothe my own, like... right. I mean, anxiety this is the best about, thing like, you would possibly, probably, possibly tell someone who is ex- like afraid of or anxious about being embarrassed. People usually don't care about you. Like, yes, like that's that is the truth of it, right? Is like people are not usually paying that close attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm really digging it. I uh, I I'm really curious to see where this one will go as well, just because like. It's obvious that Bochi is not going to just, like, Gunbare her way out of anxiety right, in, like, right. two episodes. Like, this is clearly going to be a work in progress for this character. But, uh... Also, shout out to, like, one uh, throwaway joke from the manga that they turn into the greatest joke in this in this anime adaptation, which is, like, when she's, like, angsting about how she can't do anything right, she insists that, like, oh, it's like... The only thing I could possibly meaningfully do on stage to provide entertainment for the audience would be to commit seppuku. And then just like, right. like a fucking imagined spot of her stabbing herself with a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah. this is 
like I looked up the people behind this, and this is a debut director. Like, uh, really, promising okay. new director Keichiro Sato, whose only previous credit is on, uh, or at least previous director credit is on an OVA for the show Aka. If anyone remembers, oh, that, that one. Like, that was like the, yeah, the like I do like, not the, the like, Pretty Boys Secret Police. Yeah, the, I wanted to say the Bishonen Stasi show. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was a very stylish show, though. Right. But th- this is, like, a clear example of, like, hey, we have this license for, like, source material that cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, be called exciting. Go ape shit. And that's clearly what he's doing. Like, That's cool. Of, like, that's always fun. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, weird animation shifts. There's a lot of, like... Everyone's involved, and it sounds like they're having so much fun. Like... The, the the voice actress for Bocci can go like can like scream and go hoarse and have her voice break whenever she's freaking out. Right. It's a bit sad that the show still looks like a box standard cute girls doing cute things show. Like these character designs just do not fit the vibe that they're going with. Yeah, I I That's think yes, it's where you're li- where you're limited by the original right. source material. Right. right. Like it's it's almost like Bocci the Rock and Do It Yourself traded like. Traded one for the other, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do it yourself in exchange for its, like, utterly charming presentation has, like, nothing of substance, whereas Bochi the Rock is a much more interesting one of these shows, but visually it's... I mean, there's there's it's, some decent bits, right? Oh, yeah, there's like, a lot but, of visuals. It's just that, like, in terms of art style, it just looks like one of those. Pretty like, bog standard, yeah. 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 All right, I'm well, we should... interested in finding out more. Do you, like... This show seems to genuinely care about music. Yeah, so definitely. I'm interested in finding out how far they take it. Well, speaking of shows with style, Zig, last podcast, you said that noted gamesman Hideo Kojima should watch Utena. Well, unfortunately, yes. it doesn't seem like he got around to it. But what if I told you that Ichiro Okochi and the rest of the boys and girls at Sunrise did? <laughs> yeah, Ugh. this one of the less less predictable swings in and, and, and uh, it's a revolution, about, guys. It's a revolution. Yes, talk- finally, <laughs> finally, a Gundam show for men. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes, we are talking about yeah. Mobile Suit Gundam: The Witch from Mercury. This is, like, so this has created something of a firestorm on the internet for a whole bunch of reasons, which are probably not worth going into. Barrels, they're lesbians. It it definitely feels like coming into this show, like, Gundam has had, at least in Western fandom, the most momentum it's had in years, right? Like, Iron-Blooded Orphans was kind of a breakout hit in the West, and in terms of, you know, just the general visibility of Gundam, and but like, there's been a growing sort of uh, a, a wave of people who are excited about this show, and uh, this these first couple of episodes are not boring, for the want of a better word. You know, I mean, <laughs> they are they're they're going for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tell me how you feel about them, G. You know, because sure. I'm interested because I I feel like just to elaborate, I feel like. I wouldn't necessarily call it polarizing, but I feel like I've seen a lot, a wide range of feelings about, especially episode one, but some of episode two as well. So I'm interested to see where we all stand on it. Sure, I think um, so. As of as of this podcast, uh, if you include the prologue, technically uh, there have been three episodes of uh, Gundam: The Witch from Mercury out there, and 
for my part personally, you know, look, I've said before that it is hard for me to love a Gundam right out the gate because I have been burnt so many times. As I've said before, purely on its premise, Iron-Blooded Orphans is the Gundam I literally dreamed of since I was like 15. And then it became what it actually was. Hmm. So for reasons like that, it's hard for me to necessarily fully buy into any given Gundam. But if I'm to judge basically just, you know, on my emotional reaction, how I feel about these episodes, I, I, I'm... I, I, God, it, you, you, can, you, can, you can hear it in me. I am struggling to even get these words out because I'm scared of saying them into the world. But God damn it, Zig, what did we tell you? Don't make him talk about Gundam. I mean, look, we, we, we have to. There's a, there's a show happening. We have to talk about it. That's literally I, the reason we're here. I am rather taken by this by this Gundam. I I think it is making some very bold, inspired choices. And for me, Gundam is at its most interesting when it makes these types of leaps in either tone or premise or theme. And you know, I, I think of what we've seen so far, I I really like what they are doing. In fact, like I know some people have gotten out there and be like, man, you know, the, the main shows, there's a lot of total whiplash between that and the prologue, to which I, with my galaxy brain, go, no, <laughs> you see, that's intentional. Like, the thing, the even if this plotline eventually gets thrown away in the end, one of the things that I've really been drawn to by this new Gundam is sort of the nature of how rules are created who gets to enforce them, and who has to obey them. And what I mean by this is that in the prologue, uh, Delling, sort of the, at least framed to be the primary villain of, of The Witch from Mercury so far, Delling orders a extrajudicial black ops killing of, you know, what are essentially, like, potential competitors. Right, in yes. direct sort of, competitors. Right. For, for better or worse, he is the person who is being established as Spice Hitler right. in this early. Yeah, I do like yes. how he, how he, and, like in his big speech, frames it as kind of like a, almost like a, a progressive pacifist kind of movement. Like he's, he's he's making the he's making the institution look bad, so he can, you know, yeah, it's, right. a, it's a preemptive strike, right? So he can behind the scenes just take out a competitor, yeah. I really do love that speech because it feels like the writers, which I guess would primarily be Okochi, have listened to how demagogues and populists, populists have spoken in the last five, ten years, like the types of terminology and rhetoric they use. But the reason why I really like that is because in episode one, then we get introduced to the actual premise, which is that Suleta Mercury um, enrolls at basically Gundam school, uh, you know, it's with her Gundam. Gundam. Spice school, right? Yes. And we find out that now, 10 years later, well, the way to inherit Delling's like, considerable wealth and power as the de facto leader of the uh, Benerit group, which is this kind of monolithic conglomerate that well, monopolizes... It, there's an important fact, which is it is a conglomerate of conglomerates. Right. right. Yes. Like it has, like, what is it? Like, 120-something sub-companies who are sort of battling for power and control within the structure. So you get a lot of corporate backstabbing, which I'm a big right, fan of. exactly. And I think, again, I, I wonder if they will actually confirm this or not, but, like, what Delling does in episode one, or, or what Delling has created in episode one in the ten years since the prologue, 
Like, to some people, it may seem initially, like, contradictory. Like, wait, now we're, like, fighting in ritualized duels? And it's like, no, that's a... Of course he would do that once he has taken the reins of power for himself, right? Because he knows that how he got power is he ordered a black ops killing of his competitors. So how does he prevent other people from doing the same to him? By enforcing this like utterly insane cultural ritual of dueling to win the hand of his daughter. Right, like, and and this is where the Utada comparisons come in. The idea that like these people are fighting for a chance to marry, uh, you know, mysterious waifu, basically. And also the idea that you know the, this, this the female character is seen as property of or like a piece right. of, of piece of like a piece of leverage these men are using in their political power games, right? Yeah, right, and and. I, I will say that I think that idea is great. I think like the manifestation of that, which is uh what's what's the what's the girl's name? Um Miorine. Uh, Miorine? Miorine, that's it. I will say that the show presenting it as Miorine having fairly cliched daddy authority issues is not so great, but we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I mean she's probably I, I wouldn't call her necessarily the weakest link, but she is definitely the character that I think will probably need more time, I think, to to truly develop from yeah. where she is right now. Because unfortunately, she is already falling into the trap of becoming the Gundam princess of yes. like the sort of mostly helpless uh, 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 figurehead that's meant to represent a like greater ideal. Right. But I mean, I would like to pro, I would like to nuance that a little bit because at the end of episode two, she does you know take her fate in her own hands, and she literally just walks up to Saleta and is like, you know, you're, we're gonna fight, you know, you're gonna yes. fight on my behalf, and you better not screw up. Like, <laughs> she no, seems I, I to be I... a take on that trope, but one for modern times. At least right, and I mean, and I think it does work because then you have Saleta who sort of contrasts that as, mm-hmm. in this case, she, the knight in Shining Armor is the sort of more passive one, at least right. when she's outside of her Gundam. Right, and I think those character dynamics are the most difficult things to establish from just two, two, two and a half, let's say, episodes. Um, and and they could go, you know, I I think for me, I appreciate that Suleta is not suddenly like a super ace like a lot of Gundam characters are. You know that she's clearly capable, but she's nervous. She's not good with people. She's a little weird because like she's she's the equivalent of Gundam homeschooled basically <laughs> yes <laughs> um i do wish that they would make it a little bit less uh obvious that they're doing it for moe points if that makes sense i'm still Which... kind of thinking it might be a f- an act that would be I... a really impressive twist if like... so. that would be very impressive i i go go ahead aqua no i was thinking it might be an act like because the whole idea that she is sent to the school to be sort of a plant for her mom, uh, who is apparently the char of this show. Yeah, so, no, no, if... that's not her mother, though, is it? No, it is. Oh, I think that is. Yeah, because she she has but the, the same official, prosthetic no, the arm. Official material confirms it that that she is Lady. Oh, Prosper. okay, because they don't have the same name, obviously. No. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, I mean neither neither does Selena. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, that oh. that's what I'm saying. That like Suleta okay, and, and her. I mean, she has the same voice actress. She has the arm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, she is Shah because she is wearing one of the silliest masks right. yet. Uh, no, you see, it's a prosthesis. What, uh, Zig? What if Shah could have been like a mother to me? 
yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a story for another. I will say that that mask, like as the rare, to be like that. Yeah, as the rare full helmet version of the Char mask, it gives me Zex Marquis vibes. Oh yeah, a little bit of that for sure. But I mean, heck, it'll be interesting because no, just to elaborate on that a bit, like. The traditional position of the Shah is obviously as a direct rival to the main character. So, like, yeah. especially, like, having it be an adult in a position of authority who, by all accounts, may be the mother of the main yeah. character. That seems in- to be the quote-unquote good guy? Yeah, I mean... Uh, like, it's Gundam. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it's Gundam. Like, I, I think it's fair to say that she has an agenda which she is using Suleta and the Gundam Ariel for, right. you know, like, and, and you know, this is what's interesting about new Gundam shows is that, like, in a certain sense, they are predictable because we know that they will centre on a certain theme and a certain set of tropes, but it's the way in which each individual show remixes that formula, which is intriguing. Right. right. I, I think Maybe that is always what has... Yeah. Go ahead, oh, go I was just going to I think the thing that has always kept Gundam interesting if not good then interesting is that i think of the many long-running franchises that have arguably stuck around for too long gundam has always felt a sort of again unless they're doing their blatant uc pandering like unicorn gundam has always felt a need to try to reinvent itself for the times i mean like anyone who's like complaining about like how weird the witch from mercury is is like have you watched g gundam lately (laughs) you know like Gundam has like, always been willing to do this. Right. Like any long-running franchise, it has to adapt with the times and with its, you know, with its themes of like, oh, new technology that is like unregulated. What do we do with it? And like criticism of corporate capitalism. This show is definitely like has its finger on the pulse. Yeah. And, and it helps that the pulse is some of the classic Gundam mm-hmm. tropes. Right. Like, uh, like the idea of, you know, corporate espionage, you know, right. Forbidden weapons of war, transhumanism, all of this stuff is classic Gundam grist wow. that goes all the way back to the original series. I mean, right? it can reap the benefits of the trailblazing role it played like 30, 40, 50 right. years ago. I, I think, you know, to return to like direct crit- critique of the episodes, for me, I found the first episode really fast paced and because of that a little flimsy. I, I mean the second I, episode is also really fast paced. There's a no, lot going it, on here. No, I, I, I don't think it is. Like a lot of things are happening, but most of it is we are being introduced to a number of background concepts and stuff. And it's right. not one of the problems to again, to me, is the first episode is that things happen so fast that we're not necessarily given weight for them like the jewel is spectacular but like we're not actually we don't actually feel it that it's super important because we haven't established the opponent or the stakes so much and i think the second episode the second episode throws a lot of information at us but it's much more in the vein of traditional exposition you know and for the most part not a huge amount happens in the second episode most of it is should we scrap the gundam or not and you know the the result of that is we get some interrogation scenes. The interrogation scene, I feel, is almost certainly a direct homage to uh, Zeta Gundam's first episode. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and you know, we get a dramatic courtroom scene. And, you know, all of these things are cool, but they're they're much less frantic than the first episode. And so for that reason, I preferred the second episode a great right. deal. The first episode I mean, does, I... like, does... I understand what you're saying because it does rush to having... You know, we need to have a cool mobile suit fight at the end. Like, yes. Like, 
So this is where I, I I have to push back. I mean, I think I think your your take is totally valid, Zig. I do think that yes, like they really do just speed run like pushy shitty suitor. Like mm-hmm. they they're speed running the shitty spouse like or right. shitty fiance tropes as fast. Like as I said, can. like I said when I was when we were watching this, this guy reminded me of the guy in the car from Comet Lucifer, who is also like a shitty fiance to the main character's childhood friend. And who like comes in offering her his best steer. Like right, it's as it's, random uh, as that. It's like, a much more overtly comic type. Right. Yeah, yeah. But so here's the thing I'll say. Like, I totally agree, but I also think that I mean, maybe it's just me, but I, I so I I did like both episodes, you know, for the reasons that I like Gundam. You know, second the second episode definitely has a lot more of that sort of intrigue that I would expect. But mm. I think that first episode is just a really I think I think that especially for Gundam, right? Gundam has to be flashy on its first impression. Yes, right? absolutely. Like I think that I think that first episode had to introduce things as fast as it did to get to the duel because I mean, let's be real. Whenever everybody's talking about the new Gundam, what everybody is really talking about is like the last 6 episodes of that first mm-hmm. minute of a first episode, right? right? Is like everything from the duel to the freaking feathers raining from the sky oh, as the sun beams down on our newly wedded couple. We want to, <laughs> like, we want to see, we want to see the robots and the lesbians. Like as we have long established, like a good Gundam requires doses of both wow, cool robot and war is bad. Indeed, there needs yes. to be a balance. I and think look, my, my, no, go on, G, go on. I'll just say, sometimes you just want to see a big dumb jerk just get ripped to fucking pieces in right. like twenty yeah. seconds. Yeah, and but my argument would be that it would be much more fun if you had spent some time establishing that dude as a jerk and making you hate him rather than like meeting him and dispatching him. And obviously, you know, given what we learned in episode two, there's something of a reset. We're going to see that dude more. We're going to see him probably, probably taken yeah. down a peg several times. You know, Definitely. and I think. I think these two episodes, like, and to a lesser extent, the prologue, are well structured to deliver kind of a decent, concise mission statement of what we get. Because in the prologue, we get the very heavy political stuff, we get the transhumanism, we get the mysterious conspiracy dating back years, you know, all heavyweight plot elements. In the first episode, you know, we get a slightly more goofy, pulpy take on our characters, a very fast moving plot, some cool robots. And all that jazz. And in the third episode, we get more talking, we get more industrial uh, jockeying and like corporate espionage and all that kind of stuff. So between them, these three episodes present three separate facets of the story, which I think is enough to, you know, hook various kinds of people. Yeah, I I definitely think so. Like, I think... I mean, this is this is always one of those classic things of... Sorry. This is one of those classic things, right, of... You know, at least for using, do you think it would have worked better if our first episode had been a two-parter? Like, what if we had just aired episodes one and two together? Like, does that alleviate the the weird like I I don't hecticness necessarily... of the first episode or I don't necessarily think so because then you just have an episode that is incredibly front-loaded with action and back-loaded <laughs> right. exposition. Right? The idea and, is right, they enough. should have yeah. just made the first episode a bit longer. I mean, I think what I perhaps would have done is, I mean, I've seen a bunch of people saying that they should have made the prologue the first episode, and I'm not entirely sure I agree with that either. I think perhaps, you know, an extended cold open featuring some of that stuff might have been more effective. But I, I, I think that, you know, and at some point we have to like leave behind the artistic intent and talk about the commercial intent. And obviously, as 
as Aqua said, you know, it is important that there is some cool robot in the first episode. You know, you, ha- you have I to have ordered <laughs> four high grade kits from the Witch yeah. from Mercury. There you go. Dude, this show, already. this show even made me want to buy Gunpla. <laughs> They're cool. It's working. I, mean, okay. it's working. I mean, okay, so here's the thing. In all seriousness, though, I actually do want, I mean, we've been talk- talking a lot about the story. I do want to give a shout out to the production. I think. Again, first episodes of Gundam always front load all the good shit, but like, it's a really nice looking yeah. uh, uh, show, and I mean, not just nice looking, nice sounding. Like the sound foley during that fight, like there's that like weird, like distorted, like energy coil wine noise when the beam hits uh, Ariel's shield, and like all the like beam splinters into a dozen little strands that like fly uh, off it. It's I think as well. I like the character design. I think. Um... Sunrise are using that very, very like high detail, high quality CGI they used in the Origin and Hathaway's Flash, which yeah, you know definitely just looks really good. And they seem to have found a fairly happy medium between making the suit CG for some stuff and 2D for other bits and bobs. Right. You know. So yeah, like I mean, I I would say that we expect a like mainline Gundam TV show to have a high budget and look very good, but I think even within those expectations, this is a smart, nice-looking show. Yeah, I will say just as a slight aside, a very like a funny realization that I guess to me it's like as someone who has watched this franchise for too long, it didn't quite register for me. But I showed a you know, and this is also anecdotally showing that yes, this Gundam is definitely getting the attention of people outside the usual spheres. I. Uh, I, I showed uh, the first episode of, or the prologue and uh, the first episode of the Witch for, of, of the TV series proper to a friend who is not really a Gundam guy. Like he watches anime, but you know he's one of those guys where like the last Gundam he watched were Wing and G on Tsunami, right? Right. And I I forgot that if you do not watch a lot of Gundam regularly, funnels are like the funnels are like the most mind blowing shit in the world. Ah, funny. Like he, like he was watching that first episode, and when Ariel splits all the parts off of it, and like just blasts that dude with like the funnel barrage, he fucking lost his shit. And I was like, "Oh shit, right? Funnels are crazy." <laughs> like, I, I will say that the the stinger of episode two, where like the mysterious like the mysterious enemy Gundam, which is of course inevitably painted red and very flashy. Yep. Uh- as uh, briefly always. <laughs> turns itself into a human propeller of bean oh sabers. Yes, yeah. well. that was really fucking yeah. gnarly. I love that. Yeah. You know. So, I, I guess this is all to say, you know, the new Gundam is promising. Uh, yes. You know, this is this is not an endorsement necessarily for how it's going to turn out in the long run, right. but I think it is doing a lot of cool, interesting things, and I. I, I really hope it keeps doing cool, interesting things. I mean, I, if anything, it will provide copious uh, fuel for cool discussions on this very podcast. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the thing about Gundams is that, like, although there has been some debate over this with Witch from Mercury, they are generally reliably year-long shows, which is fairly unusual in, in the modern context. And they are so wide-ranging that you know, a, a Gundam show can be very successful in some facets and less successful in others. So part of what's interesting about having a new Gundam is trying to see, again, which parts that they emphasize and which parts that they um, 
that they sort of gloss over. I will say that my initial impressions is that this Gundam is leaning a little bit more towards the pulpy side of the franchise rather than the hard sci-fi side. And, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's not an endorsement of quality. But, um, but yeah, you know, I'm excited to see where they go with it, which I think is the most important thing. I do have to say, there's been a gnawing thought in the back of my head ever since we started talking about this show. And I sincerely hope it's not true, but <laughs> this is a show about how a revolutionary technology that the mainstream just doesn't understand, and they try to ban it, and they're so unreasonable about it, they just don't see how revolutionary this technology is. And I'm like, Ayn Rand, is that you? Please don't <laughs> turn this show into, you know, the fucking fountainhead. I mean, we, we obviously uh... don't know the we obviously don't know the full. Right. Story, but it does seem that the technology kills its users. Right, that seems well, to be a major issue with it. <laughs> I mean, it does, but obviously, you know, whatever is going on with Soletta, but it's uh, just so good. You know, she is she doesn't seem to be harmed by it, at least so far. For all right. we know, for all we know, it's just that her tolerance is higher and it still kills you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, again, that, that is a thing with humans guns. into space, even though they already are in space, but even further into space. I, yeah. I will say that there are occasional allusions to Earth, which seem to indicate that Delling might not be the ultimate authority in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, well, like the... we we still don't know where he ranks on the totem pole. Right. I mean, we'll probably have to he, make he this runs the last discorder of the universe, but not yes, necessarily so... the entire universe. Right. We we could probably speculate about a Gundam forever, so the last thing I'll say about that is, like, it seems like Delling and the Benaret group, I mean, you know, they are called the very goofy Spacians, right? Like, Spacians versus Earthians, right? Yes. And it seems like, at least based in the school, Earthians are definitely second class, right? right. Like, you right. get that scene at the lunch table. So... It also, would not... like, Mio, what's-her-name, wants to go to Earth. Like, she has right. some reason yeah. to go to yeah. Earth. And for some reason, her father is extremely against that. So I suspect that if this ever does turn into the more traditional Earth versus Space Gundam story, it is probably going to be on the back of that foreshadowing. What if the I Spacians mean, take the school and drop it onto Earth? It's been done. It would not even be the craziest thing an evil person in Gundam has done. <laughs> A school would be small time. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, alright. What, if, what I think... if the colony we dropped was also an orphanage? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just amp it up. But yeah, I think I think that's gonna do it for, for this podcast. I think uh this fall season overall, pretty pretty promising, a lot of interesting stuff, and you know, again, we haven't even watched everything yet, you know, there is the likes of your bleaches and chainsaw mans on the horizon. So. I mean, I, I think bleach will be super interesting. Like, I don't think anybody's su- expecting it to be crazy good, but it's going to oh, be fascinating. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you've read the Thousand Year Blood War arc, you know that <laughs> this anime is this upcoming anime is not going to have much to it. But yeah, but, uh, still but plenty, not, plenty of stuff to go through next time. I think for sure. Like we will, we will have even more. <laughs> we will have more first impressions for the next podcast. We will uh, all uh, we will all become aware of the truth of the universe and the truth yes. is Halloween. <laughs> but Man, that uh, won't even yeah. be in this season of Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Wait, oh god, no, it definitely won't. Yeah, no, we're we're definitely not getting Halloween until like a hypothetical season two. 
But all right, all right, enough of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's 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 do this housekeeping, and then everybody can go home. You can check out the podcast as well as all of our lovely first look posts that we have written up for this oh, season. Uh, quick plug as well. Um, I have oh, a, yes. a final thoughts post on Made in Abyss, the Golden City of the Scorching Sun, where I kind of articulate some of my feelings about the show that I, you know, in a little more depth than I get to do on the podcast. So if you're interested, check that out. That's on the site as well. Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend that one, having read it, like, because we, we didn't really get a chance to do a proper, like, last impressions for right, Made yeah. in Abyss because of the timing. And so I... I, I do think it is good that we were able to get your thoughts in a in a more long form version on the uh, the very the very uh, uh, th- troubled themes of of <laughs> the yeah. second season there. But yes, you can read that and all this other stuff at theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, Podbean, and Stitcher. Uh, hey, if you like what we're listening, you know, if you like what you're listening to, leave a review. You know, it doesn't actually matter what you give it. One star, five stars. <laughs> like it's it's all engagement to us, baby. You know, and uh, but you, you know what? I will fire us if we don't get five star reviews. Yeah, you know, and it's not my place to say what kind of podcast we are, but I think it's worth leaving that up to our sophisticated, charming, and handsome listeners. So I'll leave it up to you guys. Uh, you can also listen to the podcast on YouTube, where you can, you know, like, comment, and subscribe. And I think that's going to do it for episode 121 of the Glorio Chat. So tell your friends, tell your enemies, and we'll see you next time amongst the sea of stars. Spice lesbians! <laughs>